Hello, everybody, and welcome to this CRISPR Journal podcast mini-series brought to you in association with Horizon. Today's topic, what's on the horizon for base editing? I'm your host, Kevin Davis, the executive editor of the CRISPR Journal, author of the new book, Editing Humanity, The CRISPR Revolution and the New Era of Genome Editing. Today, to conclude this really fun and informative mini-series that we've been putting on with Horizon, we're going to revisit and expand on a very important topic that we uh, recently discussed in the series, and that is base editing. You probably gathered that from the title of this episode. My guest today is Kevin Hemphill, R&D Manager for Horizon in Boulder, Colorado. We're going to discuss advances in applications, exciting technology, and learn how Horizon is helping to drive both the technology development and clinical applicability of base editing. Kevin, hello, welcome. Hi, Kevin. It's great to be here. Thanks for having me. And I unfortunately can't take credit for the catchy title of On the Horizon for base editing, but I suppose being in research and development, that's okay. We have some great marketing folks here at Horizon that help pick up the slack. I'm very excited to be here and to talk about base editing and a few of the exciting new directions where the emerging technology is headed. Fantastic. Before we get into that, just tell us a little bit about your own scientific background, how you got to Horizon, and what is your current role? Right. So I'm currently an R&D manager at Horizon Discovery. I've been with Horizon for three years now and with the legacy Dharmacon business for a year and a half prior. So I've worked on various gene editing and gene modulation technologies from early research to product development, including helping drive forward our synthetic guide RNA for CRISPR activation. And then most recently as a member of the base editing R&D team, where I've kind of helped drive forward the technical development there and the commercialization of Horizon's base editing platform. So in the previous episode and penultimate episode in this series, uh, we spoke to your colleague, Jennifer Harbottle, who gave us a nice introduction to base editing. For folks who haven't had the time or opportunity to go back and listen to that episode, briefly help us recalibrate. What is base editing and why are you and Horizon so excited about this technology? Yes, yes. And like you mentioned, I definitely encourage everyone to go back and check out Jennifer's episode. She gave a very nice overview of base editing and an introduction into Horizon's role in base editing. So just kind of a very brief overview. It's a technology that's used to incorporate specific nucleotide changes into the genome. And so it involves, as opposed to CRISPR-Cas9 cutting, you have a Cas9 nickase that induces a single-stranded DNA nick as opposed to a double-strand break. And then you also have a second component being a deaminase enzyme that comes in to introduce specific nucleotide changes into the DNA. We heard from Jennifer in that previous episode that Horizons placed a particular emphasis on cell therapy and the development of next-generation CAR T-cells. Would you like to expand a little bit on what Horizon has been doing in that arena? What have you been able to accomplish? Right. So it's become more and more clear that next-generation CAR T-cells are going to require multiple edits for functional knockout of multiple T-cell targets. And so this is something that Horizons-based editing system is able to accomplish for a variety of different T-cell targets. And so I'll just mention that over the past year plus now, we've been optimizing the system to achieve more efficient editing across multiple sites, raising on-target efficiency, but also very importantly, reducing off-target editing as well. And so along the lines of multiple edits, it's important to note that with CRISPR-Cas9 mediated cutting, the possibility for chromosomal rearrangements rise with each double-strand break. And so that's something that we think can be greatly reduced with base editing, where you just have that single-stranded nick of the DNA as opposed to the double-strand break. 
Right. And that's obviously an important distinction between the Nobel Prize winning CRISPR-Cas9 <laughs> technology, let's not forget that, and right, right. base editing, this possibility of chromosomal rearrangements when you cleave the double helix as opposed to nicking it with base editing. So what impact, Kevin, does this have on therapeutic development and applicability? I think that safety features is going to be really critical for transfer to the clinic. And I think kind of mentioning CRISPR-Cas9 really hits it on the head, going from development of basic research to FDA approval in just a few years. And now with multiple clinical trials with CRISPR being approved and now showing early promise and early results. And so I think that also bodes really well for base editing, where now base editing comes along with what appears to, in some ways, be a more appealing safety profile. And so that will really help push the envelope into therapy therapies in now just four years since the initial characterizations of base editing. And so kind of while we thought CRISPR-based therapeutics were moving along really fast, base editing could even surpass that rate. We're definitely seeing some promising early reports of base editing in animal models as a prelude to hopefully seeing the beginning of clinical trials in the not too distant future. From a technology standpoint, what are the potential limitations for base editing at the moment? I think a major one is the need for optimized delivery into primary cells. That's something that's obviously very important. And so this usually comes as a DNA-free system, such as adeno-associated virus or in the form of mRNA or protein RNA complexes. And so this is something that, from a historical context, we've been able to really drive forward here at Horizon, with the company being founded on novel AAV gene editing technologies over 10 years ago. And then at the legacy Dharmacon business as well, we've been synthesizing RNA for over 20 years now. And so the ability to design and synthesize effective guide RNAs of varying lengths is especially important. And so we've been able to use a lot of our in-house expertise that has helped us become an industry leader, both there and in CRISPR-Cas9 development, particularly with mRNA and chemically modified synthetic guides, to really then apply some of these characterizations and developments onto our novel base editing platform. Okay. Glad that you touched on delivery. Let's just probe that a bit more. You said delivery of base editing components can be a major hurdle because cell therapy often involves only a handful of cell types. Is there anything that might be more streamlined or feasible with this type of therapeutic development compared to correcting genetic changes associated with specific diseases where maybe a large portion of therapies would each need their own optimized delivery tools for the various cell types. Absolutely. With delivery being a potential limiting factor, I think the ability to optimize the therapy and not have to undergo multiple rounds of distinct clinical trials is a huge benefit in terms of creating a therapeutic that could have a more immediate impact. And so this is something that's really attractive in this space, potentially working with iPS cells or other multipotent stem cell types where a single type of cell might be able to cover all of your bases. And so fortunately, we have a lot of expertise across a broad selection of cell types here at Horizon, and we're well-placed to see if this is something that we can help drive forward, whether it be iPS cells or other cell types as well. Despite some potential delivery concerns, there's still obviously a huge interest in addressing genetic changes associated with disease. What are the developments in this space that you're most excited about or that you're keeping an eye on? 
this is something that I think David Liu and others have really done a great job of explaining over the years. And yeah. I like the pie chart visual showing the, the more than 37,000 total known point mutations linked to disease. And so those of you familiar with base editing are probably well aware of this diagram, as I'm sure you are, Kevin, where at first only a small piece of this pie was being chipped away with the cytosine base editors or C to A changes, accounting for about 14% of these more than 37,000 point mutations. And so we've seen then with the advent of adenine-based editors or the A to G changes chip away another 48%. And then as this technology continues to develop, we've even seen a few reports published earlier this year showing a few of the transversion mutations or C to G and C to A changes. And so now we're chipping away another 11% and another 6%. And so along with the ability to make all of these different and specific nucleotide changes, maybe add into the mix some nucleases with less restrictive PAM requirements, and you begin to really make the genome much more accessible for specific base editing events, and thus growing the list of point mutations associated with disease that we are in fact able to target. Very interesting. So with a tailored-based approach to base editing, Kevin, how do you go about the process of determining which base editors go with specific applications? Right, right. So that's something where the continual generation and analysis of data becomes really important. The more data we can generate with new base editing systems, the more we can then start to extrapolate maybe what to use for certain therapeutic applications. And so Amanda or Bob gave a really nice podcast earlier on the series on the topic of editing outcomes. And so I definitely encourage everyone to check that one out as well. But it's something that, you know, from our company standpoint at Horizon, we have a bio-IT team also working on how to design effective guide RNAs. And so along with what we're working on from a reagent standpoint, it's going to be an essential step to really drive this technology forward. Well, I think my final question is the proverbial crystal ball question. What is the next step in the base editing evolution or revolution? <laughs> yeah. So yeah, I think we can kind of pick up a lot from the CRISPR revolution. And I yeah. think what's really promising for base editing is that we're seeing a lot of the same improvements that were made with the CRISPR-Cas9 system also being applied for base editing. And this has been a huge shift even in the last year or two where we can really rely upon a number of these different developments to drive forward the technical advancement of base editing. And so I mentioned earlier the question or concern of PAM accessibility. So we're seeing that base editors with maybe a defined target editing window, where perhaps even minor shifts in the DNA targeting region could be crucial to this editing window. And so to kind of address that, you're seeing Cas9 variants that are being engineered for minimal PAM requirements aren't just being tested for Cas9 cutting anymore, but they're also being investigated for base editing. And so Ben Kleinsteiber's group and others have shown some really nice data with both cytosine and adenine base editors here. We also have other naturally occurring nucleases other than Cas9 that have different PAM requirements. And so Zha Chen's group has done some nice work with their beacon system and editing with Cas12A base editors. And then also moving on to the off-target characterizations being further investigated for base editing. I think the 1C platform that Keith Jung's group has been working on has shown some really cool advancements there. And I think it'll go a long ways for the continual characterization of base editors. And I think that the final point I just want to touch on there is that the other critically important component, more specific to base editing, is the deaminase component. And so we've seen companies like Beam Therapeutics really nicely demonstrate their enzyme evolution approach to their ABE pipeline. And so tailoring different deaminase enzymes to different therapeutic applications. 
So this is something that, again, depending on impacts like the editing window of a targeted editing event, off-target levels, and so on, you really could tailor that approach for different therapeutic applications. And we're seeing this with cytidine deaminases as well, where there are many different naturally occurring variants as well as engineered variants that are being characterized for specific base editing applications. Well, it's a very exciting time to be in CRISPR and base editing, especially. So I really envy you, Kevin. You're in the right place at the right time. Thank you so much, Kevin Hemphill from Horizon, based in Boulder, Colorado, where he's an R&D manager, for joining us to conclude this whole podcast series. Kevin, thanks so much for your insights. Thanks for having me on, Kevin. And yeah, definitely exciting times ahead for the field of base editing. That's great. And for Horizon too, I trust. So we want to thank Horizon for sponsoring this entire 14-part podcast series with two episodes on base editing at the end here thrown in for good measure. It's been great working with them and we look forward to potentially doing more episodes or more series with them in the year ahead. Quick shout out to Jessica Troop and Jamie Cohen in particular among my CRISPR Journal colleagues for all their hard work behind the scenes to put these on and make them sound good. Most of all, thanks to you for listening to this episode and indeed to the entire functional genomics of CRISPR gene editing series brought to you by Horizon. For everyone at the CRISPR Journal, I'm Kevin Davis. Thanks very much for your presence and for listening. Stay safe.